The game is the game. Join me, your host, Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt, as I travel on a journey to meet people from a variety of professions to find out what made them excel in their field. Walk with me. Welcome to The Game is the Game. I'm your host, Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt. Welcome back for another edition, another episode, another conversation, another deep dive. Call it what you want. But as you know, for long-term listeners of The Game is the Game, this is where I get together with people in various different professions and try and identify what are the kind of key gems, what are the key life lessons they've learned that have helped them along the way. For those of you watching on the visual, because this is a new one, For those of you watching on the visuals, you'll obviously see the different tagging and branding. And you're probably thinking as I've done that intro, what do you mean the game is the game? In the description below, you'll see all the links to what the game is the game is. But of course, those of you who are listening on the audio, you already know. Thank you as ever for supporting the podcast. You know all the admin already. Like, share, subscribe, leave a review, all of that, all of that. But let's just jump straight into it. After a long hiatus, by the way, from the game is the game, as I've tried to get different guests together as we go into the new year, I wanted to kind of bring back the podcast. And this is a this is a it's a special one here because um, <laughs> I, I, I was umming and ahhing about what do I call this one? Um, the obvious thing to call it would be the, the one with a non-league footballer. But for those of you who know me, you know that I've been watching Bromley specifically since I was 14 years old, home and away. Um, but I didn't want to make it as generic as the one with the non-league footballer because the, the the footballer I'm speaking to today, I think their story and their career arc, to me, speaks more to career longevity, granted, in the sphere of football. Um, and it speaks more to me about what lessons can we learn from their career about staying at the top of your game. Um, I encourage everybody to to read the description below, go and click on all the necessary links that I put down in order to find out more about this particular individual and um, their particular career and what they're involved in off the pitch, as well as, of course, their exploits on the pitch, etc. But without any further ado, after that long, long intro, let me bring on today's guest. And today's guest is none other than Callum Reynolds, professional footballer at Bromley Football Club. Don't worry, people, this isn't going to be a fanboy version of a podcast just because Callum plays for the, the club I support. But um, for those who know the Nunley football scene, Callum is very much a kind of stalwart um, at the kind of top level of Nunley football. So this is more than just being a Bromley player. Callum, how are you doing? Well, after that introduction, I'm feeling on cloud nine. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm well. Um it's the 27th of December, so them days in between Christmas and New Year that no one really knows of the day, they just give it a name. Um, but no, um, recovery started after yesterday's game, Boxing Day, which is a good win. Um, but yeah, like we just said off camera, I'm home alone, um, which is a bit of a rare thing these days with two kids, a dog and a missus. Um, but I thought perfect time to jump on with you as there's no distractions even though I just turned the washing machine off. Timing, uh, time is normally better than that, but yeah, we're good to go though. 
No worries. And thank you so much, Callum, for, for coming on. And do you know what? I'm going to start how I start with any guest because I always say to guests who come on here, I don't, you don't know who's listening. You don't know who the episode will resonate with. Um, I won't try and pretend that everybody listening to this will know who Callum Reynolds is. Not everybody will be a football fan, and that's perfect, by the way. Um, so just as a way to intro yourself rather than me go on a kind of uh, highlight of your careers and all of that, when you meet somebody now, maybe it would have been different five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever, but when you meet somebody now and say you're networking in a room, um, particularly given your 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 other interests outside of football, who do you introduce? How Who do you say Callum Reynolds is? How do you introduce yourself? It's funny because before, um, like on a night out, obviously when you're younger, speaking to girls, I'd never say I was a footballer ever. Um, some people use it as like a chat up line as if it's going to get them in the door. But um, I don't want people to think, automatically think, because you just, if someone doesn't know you or someone doesn't know, they just see a footballer. If you don't know football, the only football headlines you see is either something controversial in the news, because rarely these days it's, it's, it's positive news, if we're being honest. Um, and I thought, if you're going to speak to me, speak to me for who I am. So mm. I had, to be fair, I used to, work, I, I still do it alongside football, work as a personal trainer, and I did work in a gym. So that was a obviously an easy line. No one's going to really ask me about working in a gym. But before that, I used to say, my brother's an electrician, so I used to say I'm an electrician. Because like if, if if whether it's a boy or a girl, like they're not gonna ask me how my jobs are going as an electrician, do you know what I mean? So I'd like to speak to them as as me who I am. Um but now I guess I can introduce myself as a dad. Um when we came on, we were supposed to start at 10 30, and I'm trying to plug the laptop in, I'm trying to download all these new things. <laughs> so I blame I blame my dad's status now for my um i'm not up up on technology as i used to be um but yeah who i'd introduce myself as callum yeah i guess i guess i'm a dad um and yeah just try try and be a good guy <laughs> i hear that i hear that and the, and the thing is tag on trying to put a tag on myself really because mm. everyone obviously has an opinion these days but yeah, I don't want to put myself in just one bracket because I feel like I'm quite diverse as a person. Um, so, yeah, that, not as long as your introduction, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I like to talk as well. So um... <laughs> The thing is, I, I think you've undersold yourself, but but we're going to get into that, right? Um, and, actually, and actually, even though I just said you've undersold yourself, I do like the fact that you said, well, I'm a dad first and foremost because actually that's super important forget forget careers forget forget jobs forget personal achievements I, I i like that you center it around well actually i'm a dad um because people can sometimes take things like that for granted um looking at the football just first things first just looking at the football was there any point in or if there was a point in your life at what point in your life did you say to yourself if not to other people, to yourself, I am a pro footballer. That is my, I don't even want to say primary bread earner, but that is my day in, day out. Um, It turned real, I guess, when I was 16 and I signed an apprenticeship. 
Um, mm. Just before, funnily enough, obviously being at Bromley and when I signed, there was a lad there called um, Billy Bingham, who's left now. I went on trial to Crystal Palace and he was in the team. Uh, mm. He was my age group. I was 16, so I was doing my GCSEs at school. See, I feel old now because I don't know if they're called GCSEs anymore. <laughs> yeah, they still are. They still are just. Okay, so I was doing that, but I was leaving early two, three times a week to get the train with my dad from uh, Luton's, where I'm from originally. I was getting the train down to Crystal Palace, um, training in a dome. Um, I want to say it's near the athletics track around there. Obviously, leaving school early, getting home late. Um, and I didn't get I didn't get offered an apprenticeship there. I was on trial. I remember the first day I went in, I was at the ship, the training ground, trained with the under-18s. They stuck me in midfield because they wanted to see if I could play. Mm. And I'll be honest, I was threading balls through like I was Kevin De Bruyne. And I, you know the re- reaction of the lads? It's almost like the playground reaction, like, right, he's, like, he's good, like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I'm a centre-half, though. Like, this isn't my game. But um, <laughs> it started really well. And we played a few games and... As I've grown up and realised at centre-half, it's hard to try and impress in a game because, mm. like, I like, I feel like I've got a good range of passing. Um, and when I was younger, I used to feel like if I didn't make, like, some good passes and I wasn't good on the ball, then I didn't have a good game. Um, but obviously, as I've got older, I've realised the less I probably do in the game, the better it is for me. One, mm. because I'm organising people around me. So one is to make my job easier. And two, if I'm only making sort of 20, 30 actions in a game and more of them are right than wrong, then I'm doing my job. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So bringing it back to the question, yeah, I got offered, I didn't get offered a scholarship at Palace. I remember crying on the train home, crying at the football club. And then, you know, when you're a kid and I could hear other Palace lads on the train and they didn't know I was there, they was like, oh, did you see Callum crying? And I'm like, oh, just dagger oh, to the man. heart. Yeah. So I was at Stevenage at the time, but they weren't, they had like a college thing. It wasn't, they weren't professional. They were in, in the conference, it was called at the time. And I went back and I was just angry. Like I was just like a fire inside me had been lit. And I was, I feel like I deserve to be at the top table. And then I got a call from Rushton Diamonds, who were obviously a big lean team back in the day. They were League Two at the time. They're up in Northamptonshire way. Mm. And um, asked me to come and play a game. And at the time, uh, it was like the end of the season. They played, It was played, funny enough, against Luton um, up in Rushton. Obviously, I turned up there. There were still third-year scholars. I was 16. I was a boy. And I was playing against these men. All I remember was I couldn't breathe. <laughs> they were physically quicker, stronger. And I just thought, just try and get through the game. Do you know what I mean? Last 90 minutes, don't come off like knackered or a cramp or whatever. And I didn't think much of the game. Honestly, I was just thinking, just get through it. And then from that, I got offered a scholarship. And I was thinking like, yes, like this is it. Professional club, like League Two. So I agreed. I think I signed it. And then they got relegated into this, into the conference that year, yeah. that summer. Um, but to say that was my job, I finished my last exam at school. And all the teachers used to say was, this is the longest summer you'll ever have. Because you finish your exams before the school year ends. And then if you go back to sixth form or college, you don't start till later in September. So they're like, this is the longest summer you ever have. Turned out it was the shortest summer ever. I had five days before I started <laughs> pre-season <laughs> training. And um, I remember my my nan used to live in Tenerife. And we used to go there sort of for Christmas and in the summers for holidays. And I just, 
like, I think my dad knew I had to get away. Um, so I went with my mum and uh, one of my best friends called Joel. Um, and yeah, we went to Tenerife probably for like three days, maybe three, four days. Um, and then, yeah, that's when I guess my professional career started. Um, although there's a sort of, there is a gap in between where I played sort of on paper, semi-professionally, but yeah, that would have been it. So I was 16, five days after leaving school, it was bang. I was then, I guess then I was a footballer because it was my job. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to fast forward then because I'm, I'm I'm, I didn't expect you to say 16. I thought you might say later, right? And I'll tell you why. When, so the first time I actually came across you as a footballer was when you were playing for probably Boreham Woods because there was a period of time when Boreham Wood were in the National League South that Bromley and Boreham Wood were essentially in and around the same kind of positions. And actually the year that Bromley went up, Boreham Wood won the playoffs that same season. Yeah. Um, and you were in that team, right? And um, at that level of National League South, even our players as well, as well paid as players would have been, it was still technically semi-pro on paper because teams weren't necessarily all going in whether it be hybrid three mornings a week, whatever it might be. So I thought you would say you went fully pro once National League football happened. But does that mean that playing, and this is actually an education for people who are listening to this, because there are teams right now, for example, in the National League that uh, Bromley are currently in who are hybrid, right? Teams like Wildstone come to mind and Maidenhead, who are kind of hybrid slash part-time. Are you full-time when you're part-time? I guess is what I'm getting at. Uh, no, no, no. But that obviously that scholarship was was a full-time scholarship. Mm. Um, I was on £40 a week. Mm. We used to pay £20 a week for food at the club. So technically I was on £35 a week. But it was my job. It's, it's what I did every day. Um, and after it taught me a lot because my first pay packet, I went out, I bought two pair of G star jeans, <laughs> a, wallet, a wallet to hold all my money in. <laughs> and I had about five pound left for the rest of the month. <laughs> so that was, uh, but it was good. Them times were great because I feel like some of the best times is when you have nothing. Mm. Um, we'll probably get onto sort of other places I've been where it's been like that, but um, I spent a year there and we had four managers. The first team had four managers in one season. Paul Hart was the first one, and um I got onto I got onto the bench because the team weren't doing great. Obviously, when you get relegated from the from so I feel like I just go to clubs that I get relegated. So Rushton was the first one. Uh I went on loan to Luton after they got relegated into the National League or the conference. The, Blue Square, Premier, all the names have changed over the years, but essentially the same league. Signed for Barnet when they got relegated from uh, the league down as well. So there's a bit, bit of a pattern there. But um, when you're a big team coming down, it's not easy. You are, mm. you are, you're an ex-league team. Everyone wants to beat you. Um, and it was similar at Russian, a bit of a bad start. Um, I played a game. I remember playing a game like a, um, a local... I don't know if it was local because we played Tamworth, which is obviously Birmingham way, mm. uh, but some kind of cup game. And I played, and I just remember I played, I played ledge. Everything come off like Cruyff turns around the corners, tackling. I was just, you know, when you, everything going your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
manager was watching, the assistants were watching. And the next day I was training with the first team. So I was like, yes, like 16, no fear, confident. And the first team, looking back, confidence probably would have been pretty low. A few big players that were there. And I went into training and I just I just didn't give a shit. Like, I did everything I wanted to. I think the manager mm. said, like, just be yourself. So I, I was doing all these things. And it's funny because, obviously, and I've done it to young lads that come through when they're flying. And I'm like, you're taking a piss out of me. Like, And the first <laughs> the, the comments started coming from men. I was still a kid, like men, big yeah. men. But I just didn't care. Like I just thought, I don't, like you're not going to stop me. I so I play my game, and then I got onto the bench for the first team. Um, I think it was Northwich Victoria away, and we were like, we lost four nil. But I remember one time the manager was like, "Go and warm up. You're coming on." So I'm like, my dad was there. My heart was racing. I'm running. This is back in the day where you get your shirt, and it's probably like double XL because it's the only ones left, and it's massive. And I put it on and, it, and then they just said, oh, wait, wait, like, just sit down a second. And I never come on and I was gutted because obviously I just wanted to play. Mm. And on the Monday, he got sacked. The manager got sacked. And I rang my dad. I was like, it's over. I was like, the manager's gone. I was like, I thought my career was done. Um, but having four managers that season was a big eye-opener to what football can be like. There's no, mm. there's no stability or security unless you're playing at the top level signing a seven-year contract. There's... Most contracts are year to year, especially at this level. Um, but that manager ended up taking me to Portsmouth uh, right, the okay. season um, and signing a professional deal. Um, yeah, I remember reading at the end of the season because I was I weren't even playing. I think reserves by the end of the season. I was back at the youth team, and I thought like I just thought I was too good for this. Like I've been, I've seen what the levels that I can be at. Um, but it, it was what it was. Um, I just called him for advice. I didn't have an agent or anything. And he said, uh, go in with your parents and say, give me a pro or let me leave. So I was like, okay. So I was fully ready to go do that. And then five minutes later, he rang me back and said, uh, what if I could bring you to Portsmouth, who were in the Premier League at the time, because he just got the mm. job at the academy there. And I said, oh, yeah, that would be, that would be all right. <laughs> Inside <laughs> thinking like, yes. Like anything, yeah. Right. Um, he said, "Don't, like, don't get your hopes up. Like, keep it quiet. I mean, like, speak to your parents." And I, but I'll try and sort it out. But I can't promise anything. I said, "Okay." Um, put the phone down, and I just rang all my mates. I said, "I'm going to the prem." Like nothing was sorted, but I was like, "I'm yeah. going to the prem." Like it just. Um, and to be fair, he sorted it out. So yeah, I went there and signed straight on a two-year professional contract. Um, I carried on with the youth team and the reserves in the first year. Um, but yeah, that was that was crazy. Literally non-league to Premier League in a year, uh, especially after the, the heartbreak, really, from the Crystal Palace thing. Um, I felt like this is my chance. And the first game we had in the new season for the youth team for Portsmouth was Crystal Palace away. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, <clears throat> when you made that jump, so from an non-league setup or former football leagues team to then the Premier League, I've always because I've always wondered this. Like, so um, over the years, Bromley have had players who have made that jump, granted via other teams as well before they mm. get got to the Prem. Um, 
in that journey or at what stage do you go from being like, right, I'm a, I'm a, I'm in a Premier League academy, I'm in a Premier League setup, to then saying to yourself, I'm not necessarily at the level required for now, you may have thought you were, by the way, I'm just saying, um, I'm not necessarily at the level required to kick on here. And then eventually you end up coming back down to the National League. Did you think you could have played some seasons at a higher level before all that? Do you, do you see what I mean? Or is it a case of football is just right place, right time, so on and so forth, circumstances, etc.? It, it can be, it can be. But no, I remember going down there and um, two of the lads actually came with us, a lad called Paris Cowan Hall, um, mm. who ended up with a good career. Obviously, he was at Millwall and Wickham. And another lad who actually played for Bromley, um, Hugo Udoji. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so me and you, we're still best mates now. Um, and, yeah, we, we, all came, we all went down together. He took three of us down there. Um, and when I got there, I like, you know what, first day... I was I was kind of amateur at Rushton. My gym shoes were. Uh, I found some Stan Smith that someone had left the year before, and like I ripped graffiti on them, like Rushton and diamonds and like silly things because yeah. I just that's what I saw. I saw other lads just wearing like casual trainers for the gym and that. And then do you remember them Nike rifts with like you could put your big toe, yeah, in yeah. the thing. <laughs> so I thought, oh yeah, these are proper gym shoes. Mate, I wore them first day at Portsmouth and we done like fitness tests on like, it was on like a tennis court because it was like agility things. Mm. And there's zero support in them. I'm nearly rolling my ankle every time I go into turn direction. And I thought, oh, I'm a bit, this is a bit, I thought that obviously I was unprepared, but it's, it's just, just what I knew. Um, mm. I couldn't do one pull up in the gym. Like, lads were banging out three sets of 10 so that that straight away I was like all right I need to liven up there but on the pitch I didn't feel out of depth at all obviously there was a couple mm. special players but the general level it wasn't I think like Rushton was good it kind of toughened me up because I was playing with men um and our Rushton youth team the first years who were then second years were playing with third years the year before so like Again, like I said, 16-year-olds coming in playing with 18, 19-year-olds that have been playing probably full-time for three years. Some of them are probably playing first-team football. Mm. The physicality of it was, I think we'd have, we'd have just we'd have beaten them up. It would have been men against boys. Um, but now, in terms of the football, I didn't feel I didn't feel out of place at all, um, which probably which did give me the confidence. Um, but yeah, it was. Um, it was unreal. I knew I weren't ready for first team there. The first time I went to go train with the first team, um, I remember I couldn't even, in the boxes, you know, just like a bit of fun before training. I say it's a bit of fun. It's not because it gets you switched on and it, it yeah. gets gets you tuned in. And I'm just seeing these internationals, they roll up, they ain't got their laces tied up. They're just laughing. And I'm like running as hard as I can to try and get it back. And they're just like, they're putting it through my legs. And then when I finally win it back, I go on the outside. I'll probably make one pass and I give it away and I'm back in. <laughs> and that was just the boxes. I remember I remember clearly there was a key <clears throat> session and someone passed it. I can't remember who passed it to me. And I thought, yeah, Ledge, I got time. I took a touch. And Sol Campbell came steaming through the back here. But he didn't touch me and just took the ball and was gone. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this guy's like, his back is as wide as a door. He's He's... 
and I, I didn't hear him and didn't see him come in and I thought like and he, that's a defender do you know what I mean he's not someone yeah. who comes, comes in and nicks it off your toes um, but the more you adapt the more you train with it it's kind of sink or swim and then the more I did start to train with him you do get tuned in because you get stronger you get fitter and it's not as um, obviously there is a big big gap between the top top players um, but yeah I feel like I feel like I've been unlucky, but then everyone everyone has a story. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I basically retired for six months after I left Portsmouth because I had tendonitis in both my knees. Um, right, okay. Both, both patella tendons, and I was I was fucked. Like I couldn't, I couldn't. Eventually, because when the year they got relegated, so I was there for three years. The year they got relegated, a few lads kind of started making the debuts, getting in the squad. And I was thinking, I just wanted a shirt. I wanted a Premier League shirt, my name on being a squad to say like I was there. Uh, but the pain was getting so bad. I didn't want to tell anyone because I knew I'd be pulled out. But eventually, I, my training was suffering. I was getting home in the evenings. I couldn't go up and down the stairs. I'd sit on the sofa all night with ice on my knees, shuffle up and down the stairs, then go train again the next day. And I knew it was bad, obviously myself, but they took me to go get a scan. And he's an independent doctor, bear in mind. This isn't like a sports or a club one. I've gone to like a private hospital and he's just a normal doctor and he's scanning my knees. It's an ultrasound. And he just said, oh, fuck. And I was thinking, you're not supposed to say that. Like, mm-hmm. you can think it like this. When I heard that, I, thought, I knew it weren't good. And just nothing worked. Like I did so much gym work. I took, um, I had an injection. I think it's called a PCP. They take blood and they inject it into the area, try and heal it. Didn't work. But in the gym, I could get so strong with no pain. But as soon as I train, one or two days, I break down. Mm. And my contract was up. Um, didn't get a new one. But the club kind of had a duty of care to get me fit. But I'm thinking, I can't get fit. I can't go on trial. I can't go on trial and say, can I play a game and not train for three days? Mm. no one's going to sign me there um and then a new physio come in and he started getting annoyed at me for being there and i said i don't want to be here like, I, I actually don't want to be here. i'm i'm coming here i'm not getting paid but i need to be fit mm. um and i kind of just ripped my career off yeah for a while and then the last resort he goes look i want you to just take these inject like steroid injections but from what i heard especially at my age, I was 19. I thought, I don't want to be getting an injection on in my knees at 19. Like, I'm mm. going to be falling apart by the time I'm like mid-20s. I thought you could only get four in the same place, like in your whole career. And I'm thinking, if this is the first one now, I later found out you can get four in the same place each season. Obviously, right. you don't want to be in that situation, but that kind of... And that thing took the pain away completely, which was um, obviously a relief to me. And then I signed for Basingstoke because I was living down that way still um for the rest of the season and then in the well national league south as it is now and then the end of that year i went on a trial game at kettering town football club i don't know how it came about or how i went uh there was a lot of um a lot of raw sort of non-league players were there and again i just had a worldly day i was hitting half volley switching it and like everyone was buzzing and i just thought i'm not even really trying it these players ain't great and i got a phone call to go up to tamworth um up in up near Birmingham. Um and they were in the National League at the time and they were full time. So I thought this is like my way back in. And ended up signing there for less money than I was on at Basingstoke at part time. 
just because I, I wanted to be a professional footballer, I didn't want to do anything else. I'd work, mm. I started living with like an ex-girlfriend. I worked a few days with her dad doing removals. And if anyone's ever done removals, <laughs> one of the worst things ever. There's just no, there's no satisfaction in it. They might get like a 10 pound tip at the end of the day, but it's not worth it. It was and I, I probably lasted like two, three days and I just, I can't do it. I used to go to the gym every day, just on my own. I used to go to the field like every day with my ladders and my hurdles, like every day. I remember sitting in my car, looking at this field once and it was snowing. And I must've sat in the car listening to music for about probably like a whole album, just psychologically thinking, what am I like? What am I doing? Like, what am I actually doing? Um, but as soon as I got out there, everything just went away. As soon as I actually, like, if I went to the gym or as soon as I got on the field and I did my stuff, once I had it done, I used to beat myself up and be like, why didn't you just do that like an hour ago? You could have been home, you could have had a shower, you could be warm. But I kind of had the mindset that I was still a professional footballer because that's what I wanted to be. Mm. Um, and Tamworth, so who's obviously our physio, he was the physio at Tamworth at the time. Oh, snap. Yeah, so, um, and that was mad. I had no money. I had a, so I was at Portsmouth, obviously, thought I was flying, got a new car, a little Audi A3. It weren't extortion. I think I was paying like 230 a month. So I wasn't being stupid, um, but I had to give my car up. I think I gave it to my brother to take over the finance because I couldn't afford to have it. Lived in a house with, well, before the house, I lived in a caravan. If you speak to her, she'll tell you the story. I lived in a caravan with four other lads uh wasn't supposed to live in there it was on like a farm so there was a couple of times the council found out about it and we got a phone call in the morning saying the council are coming to this caravan like you have to get out because no one's supposed to live there so just chuck stuff in the bag get in the car and drive drive to the club and wait there for a few hours so you could go back i had a hole in the middle of the floor that was covered by a mat i remember the manager came around one day stood on the mat and his leg went through the floor um but you know what it was actually it was one of the like funniest best times that we had i lived with uh an african lad called nabil who randomly was at rushton a few years before he was younger but he was there um and a couple of lads. one's called patrick kanuka i feel like i don't know if he's nigerian or not but he played for qpr had a decent enough career um and a guy called kieran saint amy who again yeah, was a, yeah. as a young star, very mm. promising. And it was good. They're, them lads taught me to cook, to be fair. With <laughs> nothing. Uh, I used to, well, I say cook. The first dish that the uh, people call it like struggle meals, Kieran was like, let you get pasta and then like Philadelphia cream cheese or whatever. And then remember salmon trimmings? Yeah, yeah. Salmon <laughs> trimmings. And for me, I was like, yeah, we're eating salmon, like salmon pasta. This is all right. <laughs> He taught me how to make stew chicken. Um, and again, just just good stuff. I remember mm. we used to go we used to go as every night at eight o'clock when you know the little whoops. Oh yeah, when the when the yellow stickers come on. Yeah, mate. Yeah, we yeah. Standing by the fridge and I was eating nice food, stuff that was coming from like either the fishmongers or the butcher a bit. So I was eating nice for nothing really. We learned how to make make do. Um, but I never really played for Tamworth. Never really played for him. Um, I went on a few loans and did really well. I went on loan to Corby. The first loan I think I went to a place called Hinkley. I don't even think they exist anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hinkley, yeah. 
played with Andre Gray. Oh, what, as a striker? Yeah, the one who was at yeah. Luton and uh, Burnley, obviously had a very good career. He got released by Shrewsbury and he used to argue with the manager every week. The manager was like, you're shit, you're never going to make it. He was like, fuck off. Like, he used to just go straight back. And I was like, i never seen anyone speak back to a manager like that. Like, it was mm. pretty mad. Obviously, he went on, went on to do well. Uh, when I learned at Corby, I remember I had one month, I scored three goals in two games in the FA Cup. Um, so I was flying again, got called back and then didn't play. And it was just, yeah, it didn't really work out. And the last loan was to Boreham Wood at the end of the season. Um, and then they said they wanted to sign me. I had another year at Tamworth, but they said they wanted to sign me permanently. Tamworth was like, you can go. And I was back home. So I, back in Luton, um, so I just said, yeah, just do it. Um, and that summer, I weren't getting paid. I think I maybe done a few days work with my dad here and there. He's got a company fitting kitchens. But again, that, was, that wasn't, it weren't for me. I feel like if I was helping a fitter out, it would take them longer to do the job than actually mm. stairs on their own. But obviously dad was looking after me and he was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to sit, like, I don't want to sit in, a, in the same desk every day in an office, just on a computer. Um, like manual labor, I don't know. It's just not really, not really me. I like to do. Obviously, I like to stay fit and be active. Um, and I went, and he said about doing personal training, and I thought like, and again, you know, if I sell him a personal trainer straight away, there's an image in there, or you kind yeah, of perception yeah. of you're either this gym freak or whatever, or you try and tell everyone what to do and what to eat and stuff. So I weren't, I weren't sure, but I went to, um, I actually went to the job centre to sign on and they were like, what experience have you got? And I was like, oh, I've played football. And they was like, oh, okay, let me see if there's, let me see if there's any football jobs on the system. <laughs> so they're typing in at the job centre and there was like, oh, there's no football jobs on here available. And I was like, yeah, I didn't think so. I said, what other experience have you got? And I was like, I don't, I don't have anything. I said, I've only played football. And it was like, what do you like? And I was like, I don't know, I like music, I like clothes. And I was like, I was like oh, let's see if there's any jobs in a clothes shop. So they did this, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, oh, yeah, there's an assistant. And it was like, do you have any experience in retail? I said, no. And it was like, oh, you need experience in retail for this one. And they said, I think the only job I could get was working in a factory. And I was like, doing what? And they said, packing boxes. And I was like, it sounds shit. And I was like, okay, what like, what do you need for that? There was like, oh, have you got any boots? And I was like, I've got football boots. She said, no, no, no steel toe caps. And I was like, I said, no, I haven't. I haven't got any steel toe caps. Um, I said, how much do they cost? And she said, I don't know, 60, 70 quid. And I just thought, I'm not going to spend 70 pounds to buy shoes to do something that I don't want to do. So then there I kind of made up mind about I said oh, let me just, I'm just going to work in a gym there was the PFA obviously helps to support you with courses and stuff and because I was unemployed at the time they paid for the whole course right okay so that was brilliant so that was one of the other reasons why I think I went to sign on because they said are you employed I said well technically no and they said if you can prove you're unemployed so yeah as so a job center I just kept asking so when do I get this letter to say I'm unemployed or I'm signed on because all I wanted mm. was the letter I was I didn't plan on going back there to keep collecting any money mm. And uh, and because it was summer, I think I had a holiday booked. And I was like, oh, "What happens if you're not here, like for a meeting, like if you're on holiday?" They said, "If you go on holiday, you don't get any more." And I said, "Oh, don't worry, I'm not going. I just needed the letter, basically." Yeah. yeah. Um. So that decision was kind of made for me. I went up to to is at Finsbury Park. So I stayed at my dad's in Hitchin at the time. 
um, used to get the train up to Finsbury Park and it was when the Olympics was on. So it was a good time. It was a good time to be alive in England, to be honest, especially in mm. London. You saw the people rolling around with their purple, like, volunteer outfits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a buzz, wasn't it? Everything was good. Um, and I did, like, a six-week intense course. And then I got, um, yeah, started working as a personal trainer alongside playing for Boring Wood. Um, but it wasn't, I wasn't on a wage. I used to work 10 hours a week unpaid, but then I didn't have to pay them rent. So some gyms, you're a trainer you just train people when you pay them rent to train in the gym or there's like, you can, you work for the gym for a certain amount of hours. You might get, and you have to pay them back, but we didn't get paid, but we train for free, but I only trained two evenings a week at Bourne Wood. So for me, I had free use of a gym and then anything on top was kind of like a bonus really. Um, And I did that. Yeah. For probably three and a half years, three or four years, maybe whilst I was at whole time I was at Bourne Wood um so yeah it was uh and then i didn't go back to full-time until i left bournewood although we went three mornings a week but yeah to go back full-time again as to say my sole job was when i went back to aldershot uh sorry when i signed for aldershot um so yeah there's that gap obviously of being professional but i i guess i stayed professional throughout because i knew yeah in a sense yeah yeah yeah, I knew what it took to train. I couldn't train in a group, but I could do as much as I could away from away from football to make sure I was at a level for when I was there. So let me just quickly touch on Borenwood then. So I'm presuming I don't know if Luke would have been gaffer then. Was it Alice? Was it... Um, yeah, Lee, uh, um, Ian Allison. Ian Ian Allison. Allison. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Ian Allison, sorry. Luke was a player. Yes, that's right, of course. Luke in fact, Luke might have even been in the promotion side. But um, yeah. And then he turned into sort of player coach. Um, and then when we went... Obviously, we got promoted, same year as you guys. And in that following year... I kind of, I think they realised early on, two nights a week, we weren't going to cut it. We were doing all right, um, but losing games. Um, so we went three mornings a week. But for me, obviously, I didn't have like a set hours or commitment for the gym. But the gaffer couldn't do it. Ian couldn't do That's it. That's right, yeah. Yeah, because he had another job as well. So Luke took over, I think he was only 30 years old that season. He took over as manager, which obviously looking back is a bit crazy. Um, but yeah, so he was. I played with him. Um, I even went to I went to his wedding as well, uh, like the evening reception. A few of us lads went, and then he became manager, uh, which is tough because I know when you become manager, you have to change. Mm. Um, but it's hard. Like, obviously, we used to go on, it was, it was one of the boys, so we used to go out all the time. Like, I've stayed at his house and that, and uh, then to become manager, you kind of have to distance yourself a bit. Um, mm which isn't, isn't easy at any age, but especially being that young. Yeah. With, um, with Boromir, because that, that career arc you've, you've kind of explained is, is wild to me. Like you're at Pompey. Um, it's going okay. Release injuries. Now you don't know what you're doing. What was it about Boreham Wood that got your career back on track? Or, again, that's why I keep going back to this thing of, was it a case of just right gaffer, right club, 
right place, right? Or did your mentality change? Was it the same mentality all the way through? Because do you get what I'm saying? Like, once you go to Boreham Wood, you have a stable club. You were there for, I think, four seasons, maybe a bit, maybe yeah, a bit yeah. longer. So what was it about that setup that... Uh, that was I played at Basingstoke for the remainder of that. I went on loan when I was Basingstoke when I was young, maybe 17, 18 first. So that's obviously why I went back there. Um, but Borman was the first club where I was a regular as a centre-back. Um, again, I talked about earlier about if I didn't have a, like, if I didn't make some good passes or I weren't good on the board, I didn't have a good game. But as a centre-back, a young centre-back, you don't see at any level really young centre backs that play every week. It's just it's just probably the only position where they're not not trusted, maybe like inexperienced, because it is a it is obviously with experience it helps you in that position. But I never um like I went on loan to when I went on loan to Luton, I played right back. I played right back and right wing back. I played one game about half an hour of an FA Cup game. I moved into centre back at home at Kenilworth Road. And everything just felt everything felt better. Like it just felt right. Do you know what I mean? I played well in that. It was half an hour, but I knew I kind of showed them that I can play there. Mm. Some of the lads were like, "Oh, he was quality there," because they must have thought I was just a right back. Mm. Um, but even yes, yeah, so Bournemouth was the first club where I played as a as a regular centre back. Um, so I had more responsibility. But with that, Luke was good because he. He used to take training sessions. Him, a guy called Mario Noto as well, is a great yeah. coach. Um, training was training was ledge. Uh, obviously, aside from Portsmouth, anywhere else I've been, it was the best training we had. We only had, obviously it was concentrated. We had what probably two hours a week, a good hour on a Tuesday um, and a Thursday. But it was like it was quality. I, like, I, lo- I used to look for. I look forward to training any day, but I used to look forward to it. But Luke used to Luke used to batter me all the time, um, and I know why because because of ability, and I do it now to young lads. Like I bat I batter them. I'm not as harsh as I used to be because like the game's changed a bit, and you can't say things that you used to. But um, it's because I was good. But I used to I used to fuck around a bit in training because I used to, I used to enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? I like to play, mm. um, and I used to have fun and. Like I still do have fun now when I play, but for Luke, obviously he had they had a drive to obviously be successful, and I wanted to be successful myself. Um, but until yeah, it kind of it kind of hardened me in a way. A lot of players can't take it like the way that I've been spoke to. But like I don't I don't really I don't really care about what people say if I know I'm doing well. If I'm taking a piss in training, I know sometimes I need, as a youngster, I need to be like sort of reminded. But if you can't take someone battering you standing in a field with no one there, like how are you going to go to a ground where there's, I don't know, 10, 20, 30,000 people like saying mad shit that you wouldn't, you probably get arrested for saying on the streets. Mm. Like, if, so if you can't do it with one guy doing it, how are you going to deal with it on the big stage? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I became a regular, a regular player. And then throughout my young, like since I was a kid, since I remember, I've always been captain of teams as well. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to Pompey. I was like, well, from, yeah, from a young age, I was always captain, always been a defender as well. My dad was a striker. He used to score goals and that. And I'm thinking, why didn't you put me up front? Like I would have earned way more money. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like you know, you see kids game. Everyone just runs around like this. This like ants around the field. Yeah. The ball. <laughs> you just see me standing on the edge of the box, even at like seven aside, waiting for the ball to come and just defend. It was so. It's just been in me always to be a defender. Um, but yeah, been captain all, all youth ages growing up. Um, then yeah, captain at Pompey for the youth team and for the reserves. Um, and then I got given the captaincy at Boreham Wood. I don't know how old I was, maybe 23. Um, mm. But it's something that I've kind of, it comes naturally. It's not It's not like, oh, I need an armband and then I start acting different. Whether I've got it or not, it's just just the way I am. I like to talk um, because I think if you don't talk, not even in football, just in life, if you don't communicate well, it's, it's going to be harder for everyone. So that's something that's come naturally to me as well. Um, so again, gave me more responsibility, but it's funny. I used to come back every pre-season and the gaffer would be like, ah, oh, Stephen needs to ring up about you in the summer. And I'm like, why are you telling me this? Like I've signed it. They made me sign a new contract at the end of the season before. Cause I just used to play. I didn't have an agent. I just enjoyed playing. Um, yeah. whatever happened, happened each year. We kind of got progressively better. And then obviously we got promoted, which was brilliant. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that responsibility of becoming a regular a regular player um, was good for my development, definitely, definitely. Um, and even though it's at that level, there's still you could you could say people livelihood sort of on the line. Do you know what I mean? It's an extra income for a lot of people. Um, mm. And then if they don't play, and then they come out, and then they're not offered a new contract, and it's obviously some of the older lads that had families and stuff and other jobs. I didn't have that responsibility. I lived at home. Um, and I didn't, I lived with my, with my missus, but I had enough money to pay rent and go out on the weekends. You know what I mean? And anything more from sort of personal training, it was a bonus. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I hear you. yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely becoming a regular player um, was a good, was a good career move, I guess. Looking without going, I'm not going to go into each club, but one of the things that, um, and actually this is probably the reason why I wanted to initially talk to you before I decided on another kind of uh, arc around your career, but you got promoted with Borenwood through the playoffs. With all the shot, you made the playoffs in consecutive seasons. Barnet, when you were at Barnet, I think you went on that fourth round, the, the, the FA Cup run to the fourth round. Um the following season, Barnet made the playoffs. It was a COVID one when it got shut off and they made the playoffs that season. Uh, even with Daggers, I know you didn't make the playoffs, but I think you were one place out from making the playoffs a couple of seasons back. And then with Bromley, it's been playoffs. And again, currently this season, it it looks like playoffs at the bare minimum. So a lot of players in their careers don't win things, much less playing teams that have promotions. I know you said you've played for teams that have recently been relegated, but you've also been in what I call successful teams. And I'm just intrigued. Um, and this could apply to any job, any career, but just within the football context, what makes a good squad? What have you noticed from the Boreham Wood experience to the Aldershot one, to Barnet, to now with Bromley? What is the commonalities that you see for successful teams? Is is there a great big science to it? Because uh, I'm now speaking as a fan. What what is is it just about getting the dressing room right, or is it about having top quality players that are just better than the rest of the league? What have you noticed between all those teams? Um, 
Well, first, I haven't been relegated, luckily, yet in my career. So I joined the relegated Join team. relegated teams, not be relegated <laughs> yourself. Yeah, like you said, I um, no, I pride myself on being being successful. Like when when we got promoted and I was captain and um, this guy called Ben Martin, he played for Welling, he got promoted for him, big centre-back. The tall um, guy, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. as well, I think he played for Yeah, him. and yeah. Um, he came in that season to add a bit of experience. He didn't really play. But he come in. I remember when we won, and like I seen older guys, like someone was crying, and I was like, "Why are you crying? Like we've just been promoted." And then um, this guy called Ben Hurd. I think he played for Wickham. Um, so yeah, and he was crying. I was like, "Why are you crying?" He was probably old, probably how old my, my about my age now. He was like, "I've never been promoted," and I was like, "I didn't really think about it." And then Ben Martin come up to me and he said. Uh, he, he just pulled me, I remember, and he and he just said, enjoy this moment. He said, because some people never get promoted, but he said also to do it as a captain and lift a trophy, like hardly anyone ever gets to do that. Mm. So that was that was nice to hear that. And it kind of made it sink in a bit more. Obviously, I enjoyed it, partied hard, but I appreciated it because it's, it's not easy to get promotion. It's not at all. Like you said, I've hit playoff campaigns a lot of time. And, I, and again, I pride myself on that because... I don't want to be involved in shit teams. Like mm. I don't, my two years at Dagenham was it for me was a failure to not mm. make the playoffs. Like it's almost, it's almost like a stain in my career because I pride myself on being successful with successful teams. And then we get to playoffs. It is a bit of a lottery. You do need a bit of luck when you're in there. Um, but, but the, I think the main thing is to have, have a good group and have a togetherness and it, that's hard to get because you can't buy it. Mm. Money, money doesn't it doesn't guarantee you success either. I mean, Man City now are winning stuff, but look how many years when the money come in, managers, players that come and win, they didn't win nothing. I don't even think they were winning the League Cup. Yeah. Um, but to have that togetherness, yeah, every changing room like the Boreham Wood one, I'm still like really like best mates with the goalkeeper anyway, but good mates with the other boys. All the shots still speak to like lads there. Like we were, we're like we were like brothers. Do you know what I mean? Barnet first year we were shit. Like no dressing it up. We got relegated. John still come in. It didn't like it just didn't work. But second year, like Curry got us cooking. You see, half the players now are playing in the Championship in League One. So obviously we were good, but that togetherness we had, like it brought us brought us closer. Um, and at Bromley, like last year and this year, we've had a. We've obviously got good players, but the dressing room and the togetherness of the boys and that, like, like yeah, like you, I love the lads. Do you know what I mean? And it's hard to say that there's no there's no dickheads in the changing room. Um, and I think that's massive because there's probably teams. Obviously, there's teams with bigger budgets than us, but. There's definitely better players out there. I was talking to someone about this the other day, about players, you know, like young lads that were superstars and they were dressed up to it and they don't even play football anymore. Mm. And I used to see it when I was younger. I talk about the technical side of the game, players that could do things that I couldn't even dream of. Like I'm seeing players that can do stuff that Premier League players that I've trained and played with can't do. But they don't play football. And it's not about technical ability. It's more... And again, you talk about not just on in football, but in I think successful businesses, you have if you have a team that's together that wants to work for each other, 
whether you're the main man or not, like you're all pulling in the same direction. Um, and it's, it's a definitely a mentality thing. Um, whatever, whatever thing you're into, it's, um, it's the men- it's the mental game. If you can, if you can get your mind right and apply yourself to anything. Um, cause kind of, I went, I went to Port, the first one I went to Palace on trial. I think Andy Johnson was there. He'd just come back from England and I was a bit like, you know, like these are prem players. Yeah. I remember the coach said, I can't remember exactly who it was, but he said, um, you ain't got time to be nervous. Like you're on trial here. And I guess every, everything you do in live, you're on trial, aren't you? Cause you're always being judged. You're always mm. how your performance is going. And then obviously in Portsmouth, I got to know a few lads a bit more personally. And I was like, they're just normal people. Yeah, yeah. They're normal people. You only see them on the TV performing. They're obviously extremely talented at what they do. But like anyone is an unbelievable singer. You sit down with them in a room. They don't just sit there singing to you the whole time. Like if you speak to them, every like everyone is, everyone, everyone is, you're born with nothing. You start with nothing. It's just what you make of it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Interest. So slowly, but surely bringing this to an end. Thank you so much for giving up so much of your time, Callum. Um, so at this stage of your career now, um, and you know what, at the start I said, oh yeah, we're going to, I think this one's about how you stayed at the top of the game. I might, I'm changing. I've decided whilst you've been talking, I mean, like now nah, I'm changing the title of this. I think it's, <laughs> it's going to be something about persevering and perseverance. I need to decide yeah. now what I'm calling it, but, um, at, you're now a senior pro like yeah. by senior pro. I mean, 30 plus, um, you're still playing at the top, top level, um, Bromley are second in the National League, only behind Chesterfield, who essentially are bookies' favourites for the league's any, any, league anyway. And what intrigues me, and I, uh, I've spoken to Byron Webster about this as well, so just intrigued how you look at it as well. You're both in the kind of mid to, to well, your mid, mid to late 30s, right? How do you still stay? What drives you to still get up? each morning and by no means am I trying to suggest that you you, you get where I'm coming from what yeah. drives you to still be like yeah I'm still playing at the top level I'm still hungry um for a promotion I'm 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 still hungry to to be the very best I can be I'm not saying that society writes footballers off once they get to like 33 34 etc but certainly it becomes it's almost like there's this inbuilt thing amongst fans and media to be like well can they still do it right Mm. um have you had to battle that or is your kind of internal strength of character so strong that you're like i'm still playing some of my best football like how how where's your drive where's your motivation um just love of the game like i love football i love playing football um Whatever, wherever, whatever I'm doing, like in lockdown, I used to play head tennis with one of the boys on the tennis courts, and I'd want to beat him. I play my brother. I want to be. I want to beat him at anything. But I love. I love playing football. It's just, yeah. It doesn't matter where or where or who with. Um, and then that the love of the game, and then the other things come along with it, um, because if I want to play, I want. I want to be the best that I can be. And a lot of things are out of control in football, like a lot of things. 
Um, but if I can control what I can control um, to allow me to be the best, like I set up a business to help my recovery and mm. I use it every day, obviously. And so it's something that I'm passionate about as well, because one, I know it helps me and it, it can help others. Um, but yeah, I just, if I'm going to do something, try and do it to the best of your ability. Do you know what I mean? Give every, give everything you've got. Um, and I think, yeah, that's my drive. I don't want to turn up to work every day and just be average, just pick up my money and go home and whatever, like take, take pride in what I do. Um, but yeah, the main thing is to love the game. If you didn't love it, and, I, and some people don't, which is fine. Mm. I love what I do. So, and I think in anything you do, if you love it and you enjoy it, that's how you're going to get the best out of it because you can have someone who's so ultra talented. Um, but if they're not, if they're not, they don't love it and they don't, they don't want to do it. You're never going to get the best results. Are you? When you look back over your career thus far, this might be a bit of a difficult question, but I don't know. Um, do you, it's, I'm not doing the cliche one of saying, do you have regrets? I don't actually mean that. But what I, I guess what I do mean is, do you look back and go, I definitely made the most of my ability? Or do you look back and think, I could have, if this had gone right, I could have done X and, and Y and so on and so forth. Or do you now look and go, you know what, based on the circumstances I was dealt, I've made a good, I've made a, a kind of a good go of it. Yeah, no, I definitely, it would have been nice if, if things went a bit differently. Like I said, I played in the youth team. We had an unbelievable youth team. So I used to play centre-back with Joel Ward. Yeah. Who's obviously a hero at Palace now. He's, he's captain, played, he's played the most ever Premier League games for Crystal Palace. Um, I've got Matt Ritchie, who's at Newcastle. Again, still one of my good friends. Uh, Marlon Pack, who's just gone back to Portsmouth again, had a great, great career, most of it in the champ. Um, but it's just circumstances. Like I had had a lot of it is timing. Obviously, I had them injuries, but the timing of the injury was the end of my contract. Do you know what I mean? If it was at the beginning of the year, then I come back and I prove fitness and whatever. I, it obviously could have been a lot different. Um, but yeah, I've 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 tried to make the most out of what I have. Um, but game again is about opinions. Mm. Um, and if someone likes you, or if someone doesn't like you, that can be the difference between signing somewhere and not signing somewhere. Again, there's talk of like there is there obviously is agents and that can help you and work for you. Um, but there's also people out there that, that are trying to stop you. Um, which is mad. People don't realise that, but in football, and you can never know it's happened. Someone can make mm. a phone call asking about you and they could bad mother you and put in the worst word ever. And and it can stop you from progressing or moving. Um which is why I love football, but I, I don't like a lot of people involved in football. So oh, yeah. I love the game, but there's a lot of people try a lot of people try and ruin it. Um but it's um but yeah I've I've always I've always tried my best. Um I know I'm good enough to have played higher and I still think I can play higher. Hopefully I can, but if I don't, I've kind of I'm I don't I don't I won't feel like sad about never playing like in the football league. 
or like never being on FIFA, you know them. Like when you're younger, like, oh, man, I want to be like just to say to my lads, like, yeah, obviously football manager. My mates have signed me, giving me, giving me good contracts. But um, yeah, like I feel like you said to to last at this level for so long, um, it's definitely an achievement in itself because I've seen people come and go throughout this whole time that I've been here. Um, to be fair, I think it's just me and Cheeks probably the only ones left standing that haven't haven't probably played higher in, in the league. Yeah. But he's the he's a record goal scorer at this level. So you can't say he's not good enough to, to, to make the step up. Um but listen, see what happens this year. It would be be a be a great thing to sort of write our own history. Um but yeah now I have like yeah I guess I don't have regrets. Obviously it would have been nice for things to happen but then everything happens everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Um, whether it's good or bad, and it's, it's shaped me to be the person and the player that I am today. So um, there's definitely, I def- and I've definitely enjoyed enjoyed the ride for sure. <laughs> so I'll I'll kind of close it with this then, as you you kind of made uh, mention of it a couple of minutes back. But um, so you currently own run uh, Pro Sports Recovering, um, yes. and the. I mean, I mentioned that because it that's something you do, but I also mention it because as much as the top tier of non-league football is a professional league and should ideally be called League Three rather than the National League, um, once players, or sorry, not, it's not even about an age thing. I, I always say that football players should always be thinking about, so what's the next step, right? Um, how and when and how did you start to think? Was this Was this by chance or... Was it, I mean, I, I briefly know the story, but what I mean is like, based on your career and kind of what you've seen from other footballers who have probably left the game now and through your journey, when is the right time to think about the transition for after football, particularly if you're not directly staying in the game? Yeah. Because not everybody can be a coach, a manager, a scout, a... A yeah. this or a that right some people have to leave the the profession after they have retired so based on your experience and what you've seen how do you manage the transition um still i'm still learning how to manage it um mm. because i knew from even i think when i, when I was younger and i see obviously professional players when you say professional players they're professional but the hours that you spend training are like well, throughout a day, minute like tiny, and maybe maybe an hour to ninety minutes on the field, and in the gym, no longer than forty five minutes. So just over two hours a day. You have a Wednesday off as well, remember, uh, and a Sunday. Um, but. So the rest of the time, you have like 20 odd hours a day. Obviously, you're going to sleep and eat and stuff, but you have a lot of time. And when I was younger and I used to hear about people and players that would study and do stuff outside of football. And I used to think, like, how have they got time to do that? Like, I used to obviously go football, maybe go in the gym, go home. I used to sleep every day. I still sleep now on the train because mm-hmm. I ain't got time to sleep at home anymore in the afternoon <laughs> uh, with the kids. But um i'm thinking recovery so i sleep when i get home wake up then i have dinner and i used to think how can you use up more mental energy if it's not 
going towards football. Yeah. Um, and obviously, as you get re- older, you realise that there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of time away from football. And when I went to Aldershot, because we went full-time, I was, like I said, full-time again. I was home. I used to live down there with with a couple, so I didn't have, didn't live with a girlfriend, weren't with parents or anything. I was five minutes on the training ground in the stadium. So I'd finish training, I'd finish gym or whatever. I'd be home by like half one, two. And again, mm. I'd have my sleep in the afternoon. And then I just find I had so much free time. And I started, um, I started reading more there because the, the guy used to have some books. He used to love football as well. So I started reading. I probably read like a book a month because I had enough time to read. And then I used to think, what do I actually want to do after football? Because mm. I can use this time to start studying, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Again, we talked about earlier. I th- I th- like I, I can't see myself sitting in the office. I like being around people, talking and helping people as well. I like a kind of fitness environment, if you like. Personal training is not a. You got it's just volatile because you can have someone and be like, yeah, they train me every week. This is my income. Blah 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 then they might move job, they might move house, they might mm. decide they don't want to train no more. So that's one income cut off. So that's that's a bit ruthless and it's not guaranteed income. So I didn't see that as a career, like long-term, although I do it along the side because it's brilliant because you can do two hours a week and still pick up a bit of extra pocket money. And I just thought like, I don't want to do like a long distance four or five year uni course because if I get one or two years into it and I'm like, this isn't what I want to do. Like, I don't want to waste my time doing that. Mm. And a lot of people used to ask me, like, what are you going to do? I was football, you know, football. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what I want to do. I want to do something, but I don't, I don't know. Mm. I don't know if I want to be a coach or a manager. When I was younger, I thought, yeah, definitely. But I think there's too much politics in football now. There's nothing to do with your job as a coach, especially a manager. Like obviously I speak to the gaffer at Bromley, probably more than I've spoke to other managers, even being captain. Um, And when he took over, I think his mate rang him and just said, you're a fireman now. And he was like, what? He was like, all you do now is just putting up little fires everywhere. (laughs) And it's true for him, the things and the people that he has to deal with, that's nothing to do with football. And I just think, I couldn't have that draining on me. It might change as I get older. I don't know. But, but obviously, I, like I said, I love the game. So whether I could become like a fitness coach or whatever, but the business came about. So yeah, for years, I, I, like, I had I thought about it and I knew and I had this free time, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, And I felt like I should be doing something. But again, society now, I feel like with this social media, it's like if you're not grinding 24-7, it's like... Why are you sleeping when you could be working? Like it's not that's that's not how it works anyway. Like because one I know sleep is the most important thing. So if you don't sleep, you can't function. But yeah. And uh the and then the lockdown come and all of a sudden everything was taken away. I say everything, materialistic things were taken away. You still had um control over what you ate and what you watched and how you exercised. And because of my knowledge, I carried on exercising and I got super, super fit just from training my body weight and doing like little things at home. Um, and then obviously gym equipment was like at a premium because people that didn't have it wanted to get hold of it. 
And my girlfriend's brother, he worked for TUI, so he was always traveling. He just got a two-year contract in Mexico, was about to fly out, COVID come. And with TUI, if your contract hasn't started, or even if you're in a contract and you can't work, it's just chopped. You're not like, it's not like a a permanent thing. You're just working Mm. as and when. So he came back home and started working for his friend, and they used to hire out gym equipment. So treadmills, cross trainers, rowing machines, like all kind of cardio stuff, like uh, spin bikes and stuff. So I said, I said, oh, like I want, I want to get rid of equipment. And I'm thinking, I don't want to sit on a bike every day, not going anywhere because I can ride a bike around outside. Mm. Um, I ain't really got the space. I lived, it was nice. I had a two floor flat, so I had space, but I don't want a cross trainer. They're crap. You kind of just don't feel like you're going nowhere. Yeah. I'm not get a rowing machine because I know from working in the gym as well, the closest I've got to death is on a rowing machine exercising. So I know it's full body. You get your legs, your arms, like gets your cardio and stuff. And I hired a rowing machine. I think it was £40 a month. So I'm mm. like, this is a membership anyway. So I used to smash it. Like my girlfriend used to smash it. I used to put it in the communal stairs. So like, yeah. and I used to say to people in the flats, like, if you want to use it, like just jump on. It's there every day. And then I started doing boot camps and stuff outside when it was like small groups and stuff. And then from that, I got back into the personal training side of things. I said, look, if anyone wants one-on-one sessions, like I can, I can train you from home or train you in the park and that. But then in my head, when I used to speak to a brother and I said, um, what kind of people are hiring these machines, like gym equipment? And he said, every house I go to is massive. They're all rich people. And I'm like, why aren't they buying them? And he said, because he said, rich people don't buy stuff because they, they just hire it. And he said, some of them hire them for two, three years. They could have bought one and it would have saved them money. But just the responsibility of having a machine, if it breaks or anything goes wrong or with, with, the, with the hiring it, if it breaks, someone comes and repairs it or recovers it or takes it. And when you're done with it, you're done with it. And I was mm. just, so it got me thinking. And then I signed for Dagenham and they had one of these machines, which is called a Normatech. And if for anyone that's not seen it, it's kind of like you end up looking like the Michelin man. So you have these two leg sleeves. Well, there's legs and there's hips and there's arms, but the main one I use the legs. So it's like a sleeve. You pull it on. You plug it in and it fills up with air um, and it replicates a massage. So when you massage, I know this before because my mum works in in like um, a beauty place and she's had to practice on me. But you basically, you massage towards the heart because it pushes away your older stagnant blood. And then obviously the release of fresh blood comes through. So that's how it regenerates. And when there's fresh blood flowing through any limbs, that's when you're healing, you're repairing and recovering. So I came across these normal and I'd seen, I'd only seen it. So I support Chelsea. So I follow them on social media and a few other big, like top professionals off the top of my head, LeBron James, obviously probably the, well, not probably statistically the best ever NBA player. He's had him on. I see Gareth Bale have him on. Neymar had him on. So like, we're talking top, top superstars. And I'm thinking, how how can I get hold of this equipment? And anyway, yeah. had a machine. It was an old one, but it effectively did the same thing. And I used it one day <clears throat> and I couldn't believe how good I felt. Like my legs, I just felt so fresh. Mm. And every day I was like, can I take it home? Like, 
kind of take it home. Other players wanted it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've got it at home. Because I used to use it every day. And I couldn't believe how, one, easy it was and how convenient it was. Mm. Um, but also, it's quite an expensive bit of equipment. So it's £1,000 or £900 to get a new machine. Um, so in my head, it was like that light bulb moment. Um, and where I've been reading when you have inventors and stuff, this it's not like the light bulb moment comes, but then everything from there is hard work and yeah, yeah, yeah. arise. It's not like, Oh, I've just invented this thing and it works. Like that's the stuff. That's like the spark. And then you have to keep the flame alight. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so yeah, in my head, I was thinking, I want to provide this for people because I want them to have top professional recovery methods but an affordable price and a convenience to them. So you can use it like I could have it on now. Um, we're having a chat, you wouldn't even know. So the convenience of having it in your own home or taking it in a bag with you as you travel, but being affordable, um, because there's always, like there's a marathon every year, like like you'll know there's local park runs. Fitness is becoming, obviously, which I'm glad, a bigger thing now. It's being more aware. So there's... Uh, ultra marathons people do um where you swim cycle run but not just at any sports like you, mm, play, mm. you play cricket you play tennis like it's and recover i realized recovery like i said earlier you only train as a top professional for maybe no more than three hours a day physically so what you do with the rest of your time that's going to make you better when you perform again and recovery is if say three hours a day was it three times eight? So an eighth of your day is spent working. You've got seven eighths. So like nearly, well, say three quarters of your day to recover. Sleep is a big portion of that. But what else can you do? Yeah. And so, yeah, I had this idea to provide this on a shorter term or sort of medium term higher. Because if someone's running a race, they just want to recover the next week or the next weekend. I offer it. I offer to hire on a weekend or a week basis or a month, or if they wanted to do longer, they could do longer. Um, and yeah, that the idea kind of sparked. And I remember it was Black Friday two years ago. Um, and obviously there's a deal on, I think there was say 20% off. So I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to buy five. So I'll get one for free basically. Yeah. And this will be the start of my stock, the start of my business. So I bought it off a website, not even the main who the company is. So the company is called Hyperice because normally yeah. I couldn't find them online. And I'm thinking, are they one of these companies that have no PR and advertising? <laughs> you know, like five guys, like, you know, <laughs> they're there and they're, they're just couldn't find it for anything. And then obviously I was searching and I, and I found out Hyperice who have other recovery products. They basically bought the company out. Mm. The product is Normatech, but the company that owns it is Hyperice. And I, I bought it from just a random website that sold them. Anyway, these five boxes turned up in my house. And I've, the first thing I thought was, can I even legally do this? Like, am I allowed to do this? So I just did a bit of research and I found out who the head marketing or sales or person was in, in the UK. It's, it's an American company, but I, and I rang him. And I said, like, listen, I've got an idea. This is what I want to do. And he was like, so what, do you want to be a reseller? And I said, not really. Like, I can resell them if people want to buy them. But 
I said, I want to hire them out. And he said, oh, that's a great idea. He was like, no one's ever asked me to do that. I was like, can I do that? And he said, yeah, like, once you buy it, you own it. So you, what you do with it, he said, as long as you're not reselling it and undercutting us, like, then you can basically do what you want, charge what you want. So I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so then, and I said to him, I was like, like, can I buy them from you? He said, yeah, I can give them to you. Like, obviously I can sort your deal out at cost price. So then them original five, <laughs> I sent them all back. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, oh, I had a business idea. I said, it's not worked out. I said, like, obviously, something, something's come up, blah, blah, blah. And like, so I returned them. Um, so then I bought them, bought them from this straight directly from, from the supplier, from the company. And it's funny because anyone is thinking about starting something, there is never, ever the right time to start. Yeah, yeah. There can be a better time and a worse time to start. But so I tried to start this company, like, and I've, just had a baby and so since i started the company i've now got two children <laughs> so i've got my hands hands full with it so obviously i work on it when i can but i'm not too precious i'm not someone who stays up till like early hours like racking mm. my brains i've obviously got ideas and i'm just trying to build it up alongside playing luckily which i can but yeah if you want to start something it's funny because you have these quotes and that that you see every day, but like everyone's like, oh, one day I'm going to start. But it's no, nah, like day one, not one day, like day one is when you start because you yeah. have to build, you have to build your own momentum. People like nothing's handed to you unless you're born into probably the royal family. And, <laughs> but that comes with its own problems. But it's, you have to, no one's going to do it for you. Um, mm. so you you just have to start and then you build your own momentum like you know and the more you do and at the start as well you make mistakes because if you don't you won't learn like I said the first mistake I, made, I bought five machines from a company that didn't even <laughs> wasn't even the main company and I realized that I could get it cheaper so that was a good first mistake to make um, and yes yeah, so I'm just building it up alongside but it's not just I'm probably going to create a few other companies under the kind of umbrella of it because pro sports recovery if someone's not a professional they might think oh it's not for me mm, mm. my i have a hat the hashtag is recover like a pro so you don't have to be a professional but you can recover like a professional yeah um because the original person the physician or doctor that designed them was for post breast cancer patients okay so i don't know what it is physiologically or biologically but after having breast breast cancer and treatment, the le legs were really swelling and circulation became, well, wasn't as good as before. So that was what the original design was for. Um, obviously, it's been refined since then. And the main people, obviously the company, I mean, the main face of Norma Tech and Hyperize now is Harland, <laughs> who you could argue last year was... Like, yes. but he won everything he was a top scorer in everything so like they have the athletes there that kind of promote it but it, like I said it's safe for it's safe for pregnant women to use so again and I'm thinking and that's why I was looking at the hire because the repeat business was the model that I was I'm not like a salesman like mm. when I worked in a gym um, Herbalife blew up and everyone's yeah. Sign up, sell it to your clients. They're going to do this, going to do that. 
And my, all, my, all my people I used to train used to ask me, like, oh, what about Herbalife? I see these people taking it. And I said, to be honest with you, I said, it's dog shit. I said, just eat good food, move your body. This is just like a fat. I said, I don't, I don't want to take money from you. Like, I don't want to make money doing something that's not, I don't believe in. Um, some people can sell anything just to make, make money quick, but I'd rather help someone like properly in something I believe in rather than just, mm-hmm. um, so again, like it's, it, it's safe for, it's safe for pregnant women to use. And again, like obviously women are always pregnant, <laughs> but again, this is where something that I'm learning that, and I've had a kind of mentor that's business mentor that's helped me, which has been brilliant because he said, you can create this company. Cause I'm thinking of names before that, like, ah, oh, what are people going to grab their attention? And he's like, look at all the big, like Coca-Cola, it's just a name. It's, yeah. it's a drink. Like people associate now with that drink, but it's a fizzy, nothing in Coca-Cola says it's a fizzy drink that tastes good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So don't worry so much about the name. It's like the product. Yeah. So I can create another company doing the same thing, but say targeting like if you're pregnant women, because obviously that's a, that's a problem some of them encounter. They get a lot of swelling in their legs. Like it's safe to take on planes. So people that travel a lot, um, and it's like, you can take it on as like hand luggage. It's like safe yeah. to take on the plane. Uh, like my granddad, he has like a heart condition. He's on blood filling tablets because he has swelling and water retention in his legs. Like he's used them. He's loved them. I've got, um, I've actually only got, I always keep one back for myself, but the rest are all out at the minute. Um, one is one of the boys at Bromley, actually. His dad's just had a double knee replacement. So both legs. So again, post-operation, he can't walk, but he, again, you can sit on the sofa, whack your legs on and whatever, you can work on your laptop, you can make calls, you can watch TV, but whilst you're relaxing, you can also get the benefits of the recovery whilst you're doing it. Mm. Um, and like I said, you spend, again, you talk about, you see stuff on social media and it's like, oh, you got to work hard. You got to work hard in the gym, this and that. Like you can't spend 10 hours in the gym every day. Like physically you can't do it, but you can recover in between to make what you do in the gym, then more efficient. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole, whole side of it that I want to try and build, just keep building it up because the potential is kind of unlimited. There's no one that can't use it. Like someone with a pacemaker is safe to use because it's not invasive technology. It's just on your legs. It's pressure. And it's completely unique. You can you can adjust the pressure, so you can have it as a low pressure, so it's a bit calmer. Obviously, I whack it up high because I enjoy like a bit of a deeper massage and a bit more, bit something a bit harder on my legs. Um, but there's different sections in it as well. So it's like the feet, your calves, your knees, and your thighs. So again, if someone cycles and you 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 come off your bike on a, you might be a casual cyclist or you might do races you finish your session and you're you're back home or you're in a hotel or whatever, you can whack them on, stick on like target the thighs and you can be having your dinner whilst getting a mass. Like it's not, it's so convenient as well. And I want to bring it at an affordable price to people as well. Um, so yeah, effectively they can recover like a pro, whether, whether you are. Um, I actually gave one to my hairdresser this week. <laughs> Because he was working, I went in on, I went in last Wednesday um, just to get the pre-Christmas trim. And um, I saw on his Instagram, he goes, I've started the first of three days. I'm working nine till nine. 
And I'm like, you're on your feet all day long. And he might not have time to go to the gym and have a stretch or, or, or just get home and you can't be bothered to have a stretch. Do you know what I mean? Because you have yeah. to physically try. Whereas this, he can just sit, sit on his bed or on the sofa, whack him on um, and recover. So, yeah, there's a lot. Um, obviously, there's a lot of benefits for it physically. Um, but also the mental side of it, like you can just switch off. You can go to sleep with him on. You can read a book. You don't always have to be doing something like people say, because your physical as well as your mental recovery, um, I think they definitely go hand in hand. Um, so yeah, that was the idea. It kind of came about, I guess lockdown kind of pushed me towards it. Um, so yeah, that's that's the business, Pro Sports Recovery. Um, and yeah, we hire at Normatex, which is um compression therapy, a massage. Um, for anyone that doesn't know. Um, but yeah, obviously over the socials, I need to work and learn on building them up and posting and just getting the information out there because there's a lot of people that I know that I can use as contacts um, to help spread the word. But yeah, so that I kind of fallen into that really alongside playing um, and we'll see where it goes. For real, for real. And for those listening, um, if you want more information on that, please read the descriptions below. I'll put all the different links um, to to the various things that Callum is involved in. You can go have a read, go have a look, et cetera, get in touch with Callum, et cetera, around that. And do you know what, Callum, as I now officially wrap, <laughs> that's, um, it's weird because when you kind of track the story then from the beginning of this podcast to now coming to the end, you probably, and it, it sounds cliche to say it, but you probably don't end up starting uh pro sports recovery and the concept around that if your journey doesn't go the way it went if, if you see what i mean if yeah. things have worked out the way you wanted them to work out whether at palace whether at pompey whether the the tendonitis hadn't been there you possibly don't come round now to 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 this particular arc where as your football career is still ongoing you have an, a kind of subsidiary idea that you are going to be working on um, as the seasons um, continue, so to speak. So it kind of speaks to that notion of there is, and I like that line you said about there is no day one, or I think that's what you said. There is, there is, um, there is no perfect there is time. Just one day, start. yeah, but yeah. It's, make day one start. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I guess as a way to just officially end, and and, and you've done it already, really throughout the episode. But now, when you kind of look over everything football-wise, career-wise, professional-wise, whatever it might be, what are the kind of key things that, say, one of your children, for example, decided to... It doesn't even have to be getting into sport, you know. It's just a career, right? Mm -hmm. What are the key things that you've kind of learned that you would, say, pass on to them or anybody else listening to this and say, you know what, wherever your journey goes, keep these particular things in mind. Are there some key kind of... Uh, gems that you've learned along the way you've got to enjoy it it doesn't mean every day is going to be the best because there's some days that you don't enjoy um but a good thing that i read as well also especially with kids like i'm still learning to be a dad every day um and they said whatever they do whether it's playing an instrument or they're interested in learning something or a sports don't ever let them quit on a bad day um 
because you're going to have bad days, but I think the bad days make you appreciate the good days more. And just always, always know that you've tried your best because uh, you, you you won't always perform at your best, but if you know that you've tried your best, that's what you can control. Mm. You always want to have the perfect game, and but in life, life's not fair, and things ain't going to go your way. Um, but obviously, you learn as you go along. Um, but definitely, you need to be adaptable, whether that's adapting to a situation that comes up, adapting to people that you work with, um, I don't know how I how I became this way. Obviously, probably for as as I grew up and where I grew up in Luton, very diverse, multicultural area. Um, and you learn. I learned to. I learned how to be with different people, which probably why I made me a captain. And I would say I'm a good captain because. I know how I know how to speak to people and I know when to listen as well. And I know how to speak to people. So someone, like I said, they might need a rocket up their ass or they might need an arm around them. Do you know what I mean? And it's if uh, you can learn to do that, it will help you to get along. But the main thing is, yeah, enjoy it and enjoy working hard and always try your best. Mm. Like when I used to go in the gym, I always say, and I always just say to people, like, you never regret like a hard worker, you know, like if you try your best, you never regret it. You know, if you go out for a run or you go to the gym and you kind of half ass it, like in my head, I just think, why? If you're going to do something, give it everything you've got. And if it works out great. And if it doesn't, it wasn't meant to be. Um, just know that you've, you've given your best. Listen, Callum, thank you so much. I, 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 can't, I don't need to add anything further. <laughs> yeah. so, thank you so much uh, for coming on. The game is the game. For those of you who have been listening on the audios, like I say, thank you so much again for listening, uh, vibing with the episode. Thank you for Callum for coming on. Please make sure you look at the description below, people, to find all the different apps and um, addresses and information that, may have piqued your interest in this particular episode. Um, like, share, review, subscribe, you know, all of that stuff that people say on podcasts. And for those of you who are watching on the visuals for the first time ever for a Game is the Game episode, again, you know what to do if you're watching on the visuals, etc. And also read the description below. Callum, thank you so much once again for coming on, giving up your time. Um, if Bromley had lost yesterday, I would have been intrigued to know if this still would have if this still would have happened as an episode. <laughs> no, nah, yeah, it, it would have. Do you know what's funny? I went on um, the the lads. Do you know Femi and J- Jamal at Boreham? Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah. And, uh, beyond the ninety-two, and uh, I was one of the first guests on there. And it was after we just played Barnet. So second oh, game yeah. on the telly. We just lost two on the bounce. And they were so happy. I think they just won. Jamal had scored and that. And it was asking all these things and that. And I said, like, obviously we haven't started how we wanted to, blah, blah, blah. But since then, I think we've only gone in lost on, probably lost two two yeah. games. Um, so, yeah, like I said, you're going to have good days and bad days. Um, but if we'd have lost, no, they still come on. Still come on. <laughs> <laughs> never, never too high, never too low. <laughs> Listen, I was, I was at the game, just going, yeah, hold on to this one, please. I was thinking the same thing as well. When that last, <laughs> last, I mean that last block and the, the, the deflection just span over my head for a corner. I thought, oh, come on, 
Like, <laughs> cousins coming up for the third time after scoring the week before. I thought, not again, please. But no, we made it through. We made it through yesterday. We made it through today. <laughs> for real, for real. And um, as you said, um, who knows where your particular season and Bromley season may well end this season, given how they're doing uh, so well this year. But thanks, like I say, for coming on. For those no, of you who've been listening. Thanks for having me on. Again, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it was great to talk to you and uh, share share some of my knowledge. No worries, man. Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Game is the Game. I've been your host, Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt. And join me next time for another one. Thank you for listening to The Game is the Game with Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt. If you enjoyed that episode and you'd like to find out more about the work I do, you can head to linktr.ee forward slash mashstpaddy. If you'd like to find me on Twitter, you can find me at mashstpaddy. And if you'd just like to email me about anything you're interested in or that episode made you think about or anything in particular, You can email me at mstpatrick at gmail.com.